Tempe. Welcome to the show. Tomorrow is a very big day in the life of Rick Singer, a name which you might say is familiar, but I can't quite place it. But as of the headlines the day after tomorrow, or if you read online tomorrow after his sentencing in federal court, it will all come back. With us to discuss the Varsity Blues case and what has happened to a plethora of white-collar, well, criminals, persons who have been convicted and or pled guilty to trying to buy their children's way into uh, elite colleges. We have with us John Pucci. John is a partner at Bulkley Richardson and is the former head of the U.S. Attorney's Office for Western Massachusetts, and we have been following this case for many, many months, I'd say over a year, actually. And, well, Rick Singer, tell us who he is, John. Tell us why his sentencing tomorrow is actually really important, not only for him and his family, of course, but for the system of criminal justice. John. Well, Rick Singer uh, was a man who ran a college counseling company. Uh, He lived in California. It was wildly successful. Um, And he uh, became... He was the mastermind of what is widely believed to be the largest fraud case ever brought in federal court um, in Massachusetts, and one of the largest in the history of the United States of America. But let me begin where it all really did begin, and it began with someone else. There was a man named Maury Tobin, and Maury Tobin was a financial guy out in California He was um, under investigation for securities fraud. Uh, He engaged in what is called a pump and dump scheme. A pump and dump scheme is when you pump up the value publicly of a company, people buy it, and then you buy, you, you dump your own shares in the company. So you've pumped it up and now you're dumping your, your shares because the information you provided was false. So you pump it up with false information. You sell your shares while other people are buying it, and then you dump your shares after those other people have driven the value up. So Maury Tobin was kind of a, you know, just a traditional uh, fraudster out in California, and he comes under the gun of the feds. He has a really good lawyer, and he goes to the lawyer, and he says, hey, by the way, whatever I did, there's this guy Rick Singer out there, and I understand that you can pay him uh, to get people into college. And in fact, uh, I have been paying him to get my daughter, paying him to pay bribes to the coach of the Yale soccer team uh, to get my daughter into Yale. And so he tells the feds this in California. And one thing leads to another. His lawyer goes to the government and he shares this information with the government in the hopes of currying its favor with regards to his pump and dump scheme which it does, and that leads the feds to Rick Singer, who is the mastermind of this bribery scheme, which turns out to be a vast network of extremely wealthy people who pay money to Singer, who then lays off the money to various athletic coaches around the country in many, many schools, some of them great, some of them not so great, but all of them, all the payments are designed to get the underperforming students of these very wealthy people into these mostly elite colleges. And, and, and they go to Singer, they confront him with this information that they have. Singer agrees to cooperate, and his, the core of his cooperation is he, he tape records conversations with various super wealthy parents who are engaging in this scheme for their children, their fledgling children, underperforming children, apparently. And uh, they pay him large amounts of money. Over time, he took more than $25 million in bribe money, which he took some for himself and shared some with various coaches at many schools who are all familiar with all across the country and to get in these underperforming students to colleges they wouldn't have otherwise got into. The scheme was really designed around creating fake, mostly creating fake athletic profiles for the kids. Um, They would have uh, profiles of 
videos taken of people, kids rowing in the rowing, exquisite rowing credentials in high school, tennis credentials, fencing credentials, any, you know, lots of different kinds of credentials would be faked up and supplement their applications. He also, Singer also had test takers. So if your child was a, wanted to go to fill in the blank Yale or University of Texas and couldn't get in, hook them horns, it's hard not to get in there, although I don't want to diminish that institution. Uh, but you would think that your, your, your child should be able to get a test score that would put them in the general pool of acceptances at the University of Texas. In any event, you could hire a test taker to take a test treat for your child and, and pump up the score. And um, so he had various techniques from bribery to fake testing to fake athletic profiles that super wealthy people would pay him to create, facilitate, and put in place to get their children into these elite schools. That was the scheme. Singer confessed to it. And then he wired, that is, he tape recorded by telephone calls with these parents in which they discussed the scheme implicating themselves, or he wore a wire on himself, a physical wire on his body when he met with them in person. And based on those tape recordings, more than 50 people pled guilty to paying bribes to Rick Singer as part of his scheme, all those cases being prosecuted as part of a gigantic overarching fraud case uh, in the Boston U.S. Attorney's Office, which stretched over a number of years. And tomorrow is the day that Singer will go to sentencing for his own violations. He signed a plea agreement, it exposes him to dozens and dozens of years in prison, and there's a judge in Boston who's going to weigh the value of his cooperation on the one hand and the violations of law he precipitated and participated and created on the other hand and decide what kind of a sentence Rick Singer should get. Now, he will be, he, the judge, will be, be she, the, she judge. the judge, sorry. Right. Who is the judge? Judge Raya Zobel, oh. who, let me just digress and say, is a very senior judge, has been on that bench for, I don't know, 40 years. In fact, was a, a, a breakthrough female appointee way back when, widely respected, um, known to be very, very se highly seasoned, very smart, very capable, uh, and has probably sentenced you know hundreds of people in hundreds of different cases in the last thirty or forty years as a federal judge. So, tell us about this, John, because it's an interesting, uh, quirky, uh, and important part of this case, which is that Rick Singer agreed to cooperate with the government, but. The government is not supporting him in his uh, pleas for leniency because they said, well, he cooperated, but he didn't cooperate enough. Explain that to us. Well, let me just say, I'll get to that, but let me say the government has filed its sentencing memorandum and recommended that Singer get six years in jail. And that Singer has filed his sentencing recommended, uh, memorandum, and he's requesting 12 months of what they call home detention which is stay in your house, you can't leave except to go to work or to um, go to your job, go to the church or go to see your doctor. So the, the, the recommendations, those are the, that's the box. Six years is probably the max. That's what the government's asking for. Home detention is probably the minimum. That's what the defendants is, uh, are asking for. What you're referring to, your question refers to, is the fact that soon after Singer started cooperating with the feds and making phone calls to people and tape recording them, he called six, contacted six people who were in his pipeline. That is parents who had paid or were preparing to pay or planning to pay him bribe money for the college coaches. And he told them that uh, he was cooperating and that they should not be in contact with him. And if the feds reach out to them, they should um, not talk to the feds, they should see a lawyer and he, he essentially saved them from being prosecuted. So while he is cooperating in some ways early on, he's undermining the investigation in other ways, uh, which is not terribly unusual, but it's very concrete in this instance because the feds were able to get all the text change be chains between uh, Singer and these parents, which reflected these discussions. And so Singer both in the government's from the in the government's um, 
um, memoranda recognizes the vast value of, of his actual cooperation in making these phone uh, recorded phone calls in trapping so many guilty people in their misconduct, while at the same time undermining it as to other people. And I want to read you two quotes from the government sentencing memorandum, which really present the quandary for the judge. One quote is, we recommend from the government, we recommend six years in jail, quote, his, his corruption was staggering in scope, breathtaking in its audacity. Corruption, his corruption was limitless. On the other hand, his cooperation in, in entrapping these people in their own misconduct, the government says, was, quote, hugely significant, end quote. So you've got both of these pieces in play, and the judge has to decide, okay, I'm not going to give him 20 years in jail. The government's only recommending six. I'm probably not going to, I'm not going to really give him more than six, but what am I going to give him given the value of the cooperation, but his staggering corruption in the undermining of the investigation while securing the convictions of 50 people in other cases through the tape recordings? It's a quandary. It's what we pay judges to do, but this is a very unique and unusual quandary. The judge who is going to sentence Singer is not in charge of all of the cases that have been brought out of the Boston office of the U.S. Attorney's Office. They have been brought not only in Boston, but I think in other jurisdictions as well. And perhaps you could share with us what the other defendants, the parents paying the bribes, what they've received for sentences for those who either were found guilty or pled guilty. So, first of all, almost all these parents, the parents, what you're talking about, um, have no criminal record. Most of them have had long careers in in, in, in TV shows, uh, in, in the stock market, in investments that have been successful. They bring to the court no record of misconduct generally other than what they did. And what they did was for their own children, uh, whatever one makes of it. Other people may have been victimized who didn't get the slots that their kids got in their colleges, but they don't arrive there as career criminals or people that are likely to commit additional crimes. So the sentences, I would say, uh, the sentences ranged from straight probation uh, in some of these cases. And some of the cases, the highest uh, sentence was given to a, one of the coaches, the coach of the Georgetown tennis team, who shepherded 22 different students into Georgetown by manipulating and, and, and uh, the, uh, with Singer the, the, the admission process at Georgetown, for which he received, this coach received $3.5 million in bribes, and he got, um, he got 30 months in jail. So the most somebody involved other than Singer in this entire scheme was 30 months in jail. Many of the sentences, many of them for the parents were either probation or short terms of home detention. We are speaking with John Pucci. We are talking about the Rick Singer sentencing, which will be tomorrow in Boston in federal court. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break. Stay with us. is Bill Newman, WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's Polka Carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. 
I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it Can I just say that well, I would like to talk about I'm Todd sure Chrisley, Jen Shaw from The Real Housewives. 1, I'd like to know why the Chrisleys got so Whalen much time versus the Judices from the other Real Housewives show that got less time. In all that good stuff. With our Bella Insurance. Hi, shows this is Jessica you from Fitness Together. Shows I meet that clients you every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, -on -one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. Looking for the perfect place to watch the game? Hi, I'm Caleb Hiliadis, head brewer of Amherst Brewing. Make the Hangar Pub and Grill your go-to spot to catch all the action this season. Our famous wings come with your choice of 26 flavors, and with 25 years of beer making experience, there's an Amherst Brewing beer for every drinker. Now that's a winning combo. Join us for weekly trivia nights in Amherst, Westfield, Agawam, South Hadley, and Greenfield. Visit hangarpub.com for more of what we have cooking and brewing today. Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, former college athlete and now arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. I'm proud to be one of the board-certified team of doctors who's ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury, from shoulders and elbows to knees and ankles and everything in between. With convenient locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, you can trust we'll give you the best bona fide care. So visit anyortho.com to schedule your appointment today, because at New England Orthopedic Surgeons, we help get you back in the game. This is, excuse me, Crime and Punishment with John Pucci. We've been talking about Rick Singer, the mastermind of the Varsity Blues case, and we are at the point in this litigation, in this criminal litigation, where Singer will be sentenced tomorrow in federal court in Boston. So, John, I think that a lot of people may have the question at this point along these lines. We read all the time about persons who commit uh, robberies, armed arm robberies, and they're sentenced in state court to eight years, 10 years, 12 years, 20 years. Um, and here we have white-collar crimes, and we are talking with the exception of Rick Singer of people, for the most part, receiving sentences of probation, six months, maybe a year. Um, and I'm wondering whether you can explain to us the philosophy or the rationale that goes into determining sentences for white-collar criminals, persons who have led, for the most part, uh, upstanding lives, maybe very prominent and contributing members of their community, and then find themselves in front of a judge for sentencing, for doing something that is uh, exploitive of their position, and their privilege. And I'm wondering if you can sort out for us what the factors are that go into arriving at a sentence for that kind of defendant, that kind of, frankly, criminal. Well, the, the collection of factors which federal judges have to decide in every single criminal case that gets to sentencing are set by statute. And so as a matter of formula, uh, the formula includes the same exact considerations for rich and poor, uh, all the same. How those considerations apply is really where the science fails and the uh, um, nuance begins of figuring out how you weigh factors, those factors. So for instance, these people typically arrive the, 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 the uh, varsity blues defendants typically arrive with impeccable work credentials, with um, no criminal record, with no history of violence, with nothing in their background suggesting they, society needs to be protected 
from them, from any violence from them, with no concrete victims. And all of those factors downgrade the necessity for giving them a sentence, uh, which under the statute should be, uh, explicitly says can be no greater than necessary to achieve this, the, the purposes of sentencing. They all arrive with lots of people backing them, lots of uh, um, um, people writing letters to their character that this was an exception to an otherwise honorable and charitable and benevolent life. And they do represent very little risk of future criminal activity. Uh, they do arrive completely publicly humiliated, and they do arrive having completely humiliated their children by having to pay bribes in order to get them into, you know, the colleges they want to get to. So there's a lot of factors in here. Uh, there's also the factor that the judges are the product of the, you know, of these schools. The judges are people that when they look down from the bench, see people that are sort of like them or like their relatives or like people in their family tree. And but for the grace of God, there go I thinking starts to infect it. The class issues infect it. None of these people are black. So there's no uh, the, the Im implicit bigotry and racism in the system doesn't really come into play. Well, except um, in a reverse so kind of way, it, 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 it does. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the, the quote by Anatoly France that the law in its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike from stealing bread, begging in the streets and sleeping under the bridges of Paris. I mean, it's a huge difference. The class difference needs, makes, seems to me, makes all the difference as a practical matter and as a legal matter based on the sentencing guidelines and what the U.S. attorneys recommend. I'm, I'm not suggesting that people go to federal prison for longer times. I think that the amount of time that judges give out, giving out years in prison as if they're dispensing M&Ms is just all wrong across the board. But it plays out in very different ways based on the person's background and their criminal history and, and the type of crimes. You know, some people steal with a fountain pen, other with a gun, as Woody Guthrie would tell us. Well, you're 100% right. Um, there was an effort 40 years ago to put in what I call the United States Sentencing Guidelines, which try, was an attempt to create a statutory framework uh, in, through a new commission, the United States Sentencing Commission, that would account for these kinds of factors and try to take them, <coughs> remove them from the system of sentencing. Uh, I think, ironically, they ended up uh, with more people being sentenced, particularly minorities, for longer periods of time um, and had very little effect on leavening uh, rich, uh, the rich, uh, the, the, the class and race issues that you're talking about. So it's a thoroughly human process. It's very complex. It's judge by judge. Sentencing's vary judge by judge. Some of the sentences here have been handed out by a judge who's, who's thought to be the harshest judge in the federal courthouse in Boston, and some of them handed out by one of the, 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 the more uh, gentle, benevolent judge, sentencing judges in Boston. But um, you, I, I think you, they're, they're one by one, you could have a debate for a very long time. Um, the pool of people here, my point only going back to my original comment was that the pool of defendants do not involve, there are no minority defendants in this pool of people who are paying lots of money to get their kids into elite schools. They're all super wealthy people who could spin out hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes to get their people in, in those places. And so, yes, there's some, maybe some reverse racism, if that's a concept uh, in this setting, but there's no uh, divergence uh, within this pool. They all share uh, white, uh, upper, super upper class uh, uh, histories, and they bring that to the bench, and those people tend to be viewed as less dangerous, less likely to uh, recidivist, to, to commit additional crimes, um, and that's the pot we live in. John, you mentioned the differences between the judges and their sentencing practices and their sentencing histories. One aspect of 
the criminal system, particularly the federal criminal system, that I think is worthy of note, and I'd appreciate your telling our listeners about this, is that the defendants really can't engage in what is colloquial, colloquially called judge shopping in the federal system. Tell us how a judge ends up or ends up, is assigned a case in the federal system. So when the U.S. attorney indicts a case, they literally return a piece or several pieces of paper to the clerk's office in Boston or Springfield or Worcester, whichever courthouse the indictment is brought by a grand jury. They walk it down to the, to, to the clerk's office and the clerk puts it on that case, it gives it a number and, and uh, puts it on what is called a wheel, which in the, used to be an actual wheel, but in these days is a computer wheel, which randomly assigns the, the cases to the judge that are available uh, on the, the active judges on the bench in the different categories of judges. There's full-time judges and part-time judges, and they get different numbers and they get assigned randomly to different judges. So in this, in these cases, most of the cases have been assigned to Judge Gorton, who's been on the bench there maybe as long as every, anybody as a full-time judge. He's known to be a very difficult, tough sentencer. Judge Talwani, who's a newer judge. Um, um, and uh, this particular case, the Singer case, went to Rick's, uh, the Rick Singer case went to Judge Zobel, who again is a senior judge, but takes cases and has been there for 30 or 40 years. So you've got a wide array of highly accomplished, diverse people, men and two women, one man um, from different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, Gordon was a Republican appointee by Ted Kennedy, Ted Kennedy and a deal-making uh, deal to appoint judges way back when. And Telwani is a, is a judge, is a Senator Warren pick. Um, and so different judges uh, from different mentalities have had these cases, but they all have, all have, whether they're right or center or left leaning in their sentencing um, uh, patterns and histories, they've all landed between probation and 30 months max. Uh, I expect, I expect Singer will get more than that, but I don't know. We'll find out. We are going to leave it there. We've been speaking with John Pucci. This has been Crime and Punishment. Lots more going on in the legal world in the coming days and weeks, including the Proud Boys trial. We're going to have John back on soon. John, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. This has been Crime and Punishment with Attorney John Pucci. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Amherst's new elementary school at the Fort River School site could be getting improved playing fields. The Community Preservation Act Committee voted 6-1 to one to recommend $700,000 be allocated for a scaled-down project. Residents had asked for $3 million to rebuild the fields. The money is also contingent on the successful Proposition 2.5 debt exclusion override vote on the school project next May. Warwick Fire responded after a vehicle went through thin ice on Shiomet Lake on Sunday. The Northfield Dive and Rescue Team and the Irving Fire Department also responded to the accident on Athol Road. Crews were able to remove the Toyota pickup truck from the water, and no injuries were incurred. President of the Massachusetts Teachers Association Max Page says low wages and increasing stress and burnout experienced by public school teachers during the pandemic is troubling. There are not enough educators sticking with the profession. And as more longtime teachers retire, there won't be enough quality teachers left to staff our schools. The strain of the pandemic and continued demoralization, partly because of the high stakes testing emphasis, partly because of the attacks that we're seeing from some parents' rights groups, there's a lot of dissatisfaction. Page says there are around 7,000 full-time educator positions that are vacant in Massachusetts today, and the wage gap between teachers and other professions that require master's degrees is growing wider. And a snow globe is the cause of a fire in an East Hampton apartment last week. Sunlight magnified through a snow globe caused a cardboard box to ignite, filling an apartment at the Westlake Street complex with smoke and causing fire alarms to go off. For today, it'll be cloudy and mild with rain developing. Highs 48 to 52. Tonight, cloudy with showers. Overnight lows 40 to 46. And the outlook for Wednesday, cloudy, very mild with rain. Highs in the upper 50s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
Estados Unidos anunció el miércoles nuevos requisitos de prueba de COVID-19 para todos los viajeros de China, uniéndose a otras naciones que imponen restricciones debido a un aumento de infecciones. El aumento de casos en China sigue al retroceso de los estrictos controles antivirus de la nación. Los nuevos requisitos de Estados Unidos, que comienzan el 5 de enero, se aplican a los viajeros independientemente de su nacionalidad y estado de vacunación. A algunos científicos les preocupa que el aumento de COVID-19 en China pueda desencadenar una nueva variante de coronavirus en el mundo que puede o no ser similar a las que circulan ahora. Eso es porque cada infección es otra oportunidad para que el virus mute. Según las nuevas reglas, los viajeros a Estados Unidos desde China, Hong Kong y Macao deberán realizar una prueba de COVID-19 no más de dos días antes del viaje y dar negativo antes de abordar su vuelo. La prueba se aplica a cualquier persona mayor de dos años, incluidos los ciudadanos estadounidenses. En otras informaciones, la ciudad de Holyoke anunció el miércoles que celebrará First Night Junior, la cual será una fiesta diurna de Nochevieja para niños, jóvenes y sus familias, y se llevará a cabo el sábado 31 de diciembre en Holyoke Heritage State Park de 10 de la mañana a 1 de la tarde. Este evento es organizado por el Holyoke Merry-Go-Round, el Museo de los Niños en Holyoke y el Departamento de Conservación y Recreación de Massachusetts, con el apoyo del Departamento de Parques y Recreación de Holyoke. First Night Junior incluirá paseos ilimitados en el carrusel, entrada al Museo de los Niños y entretenimiento en vivo. Las festividades concluirán con el descenso de la bola que simboliza la llegada del Año Nuevo a las 12 y 50 de la tarde. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And we welcome to the studio and back to our show, the mayor of Northampton, Gina Louise Shera. Madam Mayor, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time and you being one of the stalwarts on Mayor's Monday here on WHMP. I know that the mask, not a mandate, the mask uh, policy uh, for the schools is within the purview of the school committee and not really your call, but I'm wondering if you could share your perspective on what has happened, and perhaps uh, clarify for us what has happened with regard to uh, mask, I guess, suggestions, mm -hmm. requests in the school. Tell us. Sure. Well, would. first of all, good morning and happy new year. It's great to be with you. Um, and yes, so what um, the school, what the superintendent has asked is that um, she's asked and strongly recommended and requested that students and staff and everyone in the schools mask for the next, um, I think it's like the next two weeks, uh, school days, um, to just kind of help us get through this period right after people have been together for the holidays and been with other folks. You know, as we know, there's not just, um, there's not just COVID, there's also the flu and there's RSV. And so there's a lot of stuff going on around right now. And um, concern about, obviously, spreading, but absentees and, you know, making sure that we have enough staff and students for our schools. So um, we're just hoping that people will be respectful and try and, and mask if they feel like they can and try and help us keep those numbers down and get us through this this period right now. And be protective of themselves as well as their teachers and fellow students and, of course, the staff as well. Absolutely. It's about protecting everybody. It's about protecting students and staff and making sure that um, kids aren't absent. You know, there's been a lot of absence in in the last few years and a lot of missed learning. Um, we've had struggled with um, teachers and staff being sick as well. So we just want everyone to stay healthy and try and respect each other and, and get us to a place where we can um, just be really confident that we're, um, we're moving forward and there's less, uh, less chance of transmission. So it's not a mandate. It is not a mandate. It's Boston did something very similar also just kind of looking at the numbers right now and just... And it, did it work in terms of staff and students? So they just implemented it this week as well. So they put out sort of similar communications around saying this is sort of a, a hope and an expectation that we're all going to try and take care of ourselves and take care of each other by masking for the next few days to try and get through this period. And will we, will we, will, excuse me, will we receive some information on whether or not the school community is... Uh, abiding by this request, I mean, as this goes along? Um, I'm not 
sure we're going to see anything like that. So as it's it's not a mandate, there will be no, um, you know, there's no repercussions for anyone who chooses not to mask. So I'm not sure how we would we would sort of report out on that. Okay. So, Madam Mayor, we are in January. January, I had to go refresh my memory on this, is named after the uh, uh, Roman god Janus, son of Apollo, um, has this interesting ability to look forward and back mm. at the same time. Oh, I like it. And I thought, since we are here with you on the first Monday, which is a Tuesday, for work <laughs> purposes in January, uh, uh, if we could start, well, didn't quite start. We had mask mandates for mask non mandates first. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I, I'd like you to look back on the last year and tell us what you believe uh, the greatest accomplishments of your administration has have been. Thank you for that. Um, I I love the way that you just framed that. Um, yeah. So first of all, it's I love that I'm here with you at this moment. So exactly a year ago. Um, maybe an hour uh, more, um, I was on the stage at the Academy of Music being sworn in um, as the 45th mayor of Northampton. So it was exactly a year ago that that happened. And so I've been reflecting on the year um, and and some of the things that we've done. And so I'm, I'm really happy to, to talk about that. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, Bill, I've actually been thinking about you a lot as I've been reflecting because a lot of what I've I can't think about the things that we've done without thinking about the team of people that I work with and, you know, both in the mayor's office and also throughout the city and how important they are to me personally, but also to this, you know, this work that we've accomplished. And so I've, I've been thinking about you and this is the first time that I've been here since Monty's not here. Jess is here and it's great to see Jess. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I've been thinking about you and how hard it must be to uh, be moving on from having um, a partner in the work that you do. So I wanted to check in on you a little bit, if you don't mind, and see how you're doing, um, because I know I know how important it is to have a team. Well, um, for those who heard the last show with Monty, I mean, it's pretty clear how uh, uh, sad it made me that Monty's not here. Um, and Monty's going to be great. Um, and I'm sure there will be announcements in the, in the next uh, short period of time. Um, and for me, uh, what we are excited about what the show will be and what it will become. We have a great team here. We're going to have terrific shows. We have fabulous guests. We're going to continue with that. The production values are going to continue. We're going to really, I think, do a superb job, do a superb job with regard to local reporting and exploration of local issues and talking with elected officials as well as scientists and professors and authors. And uh, I'm very excited about what the show will continue to be. We all learned a lot from Monty. Mm -hmm. uh, we all love Monty. Um, and we are going to continue this uh, program and others here on the station uh, in the spirit and with the knowledge and expertise that he has imparted to us over the years. I was partners with Monty for a dozen years. Obviously, really hard to see him go. But um, Dan Torres is terrific. Jess Tyler is terrific. And we are going to be really proud. And I think the community is going to be proud of the work that we do. Undoubtedly. Glad to hear it. Um, okay, so thinking back on some of the things that we worked on. So again, exactly a year ago, sworn in. Um, January, last January was really tough. If I can like take you all back. Um, we had a lot of plans that had to be sort of rearranged or kind of scuttled because of Omicron. So um, there was um, a lot, there were Omicron measures that we took, and um, I feel like a lot of my first few weeks were really focused on the pandemic and trying to figure out how to keep people safe during that, that wave. Um, another thing that was um, kind of, hap you know, we sort of, dealt with right away in January was that I put out a statement um, against anti-Semitism. We had just had an incident with um, at the Board of Health where there were some anti-Semitic statements that were made. So we felt it was really important to, to very clearly and strongly state that that is unacceptable and not how we, uh, we work in the city and not the city we want to be. Um, of course, this year has continued to have a lot of... Um, just really disturbing anti-Semitic uh, anti uh, rhetoric throughout the country and the world. Um, so 
that is something that that is was hard and continu continues to be really hard. But we, um, you know, we can't state strongly enough how that kind of hate is not not welcome at all here in Northampton. Um, we other things that we did sort of early on. You may remember there's a lot of talk about an animal control facility and a location for an animal control facility. Oh, I remember the, <laughs> the, 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 the sky was falling now that you, but it didn't fall. And there was a facility <clears throat> that was ultimately found that uh, seems to have satisfied just about everybody. Yes. Now, that hasn't, it hasn't been built yet, unfortunately, um, because everything that happened throughout the year and supply chain issues and things have moved more slowly than we'd like. But um, yes, we, we located... Um, and got approved a location and then um, ended up finding a even greater location at Smith Vogue and Agricultural High School that we're really excited about that will help sort of pair well with, um, <coughs> excuse me, some of their their new companion animal programming as well. Um, I also conducted facilities and operations tours with the city council of the DPW and fire rescue and the Northampton Police Department. That was sort of a, a new thing that I had started when I was council president, I had asked if we could do a tour of some of these larger operations in the city. And then as mayor, I took the new council on a tour of some of those. And that's something that I would like to um, maybe expand a little bit. I think it's really, until you until you actually get into, like the DPW has all sorts of different locations. Um, you know, the fire rescue building and communications in there is amazing. Until you actually get into those buildings and see some of the work that we do here in the city, I don't think... I don't think you have a real sense of the scope and the professionalism and, and sort of the remarkable staff that are in them. So that was important for me to take the council on an introduction to those some of those departments. One of the issues, uh, Mayor, who uh, one of the issues which uh, uh, was just front and center, and I'd li like you to turn your attention to this for a minute, if if you if we might, uh, and that is uh, the alternatives to policing in Northampton. I'm wondering if you can tell us what has been accomplished in the past year with regard to that. Sure. Um, well, that that was another sort of big, um, one of, I think, maybe the hallmark things that that we did in this past year was that um, we, there, we had a Department of Health in the city that we converted to a Department of Health and Human Services. And that was um, in recognition of a lot of this human service work that had already been being done by that department and by then director Meredith O'Leary. Um, and also because we wanted to bring in community care into um, the health department and, and look at it through a public health lens. You know, some other alternatives to policing programs have still sort of been based in public safety. We thought it was really important to base ours in public health. And so we brought... DCC into um, the health department and created Department of Health and Human Services. And now it is Commissioner O'Leary who oversees um, those operations, including community care. And is community care uh, as a department, is it functioning now? These are, I, I don't know if it's okay or accurate to, to term it or characterize as alternatives to traditional policing. I think probably that's okay. Um, uh, is it functioning at this point? Where, where, do, where does it stand? We haven't started receiving calls, so we're actually we are um, in the process of hiring a, a, a director or sort of a, a manager level of that section of DHHS, um, and then we're going to work on um, hiring responders. So they this past year has been spent um, doing a lot of training and working with a lot of consultants. We got a great um, uh, EAPS grant, so um, EAPS. Equitable alternatives <laughs> to, I was just looking for my acronym, <laughs> Equitable Alternatives to Policing Strategies. So that's a Department of Public Health grant. We got a $450,000 grant just in November um, for community care. And so we have been um, really trying to plan very carefully for it. You know, if you know anything about Meredith O'Leary is that, one, she can accomplish anything and, and is just this remarkable powerhouse human. Um, but she's also very thoughtful in how she does things. So the most important thing is that we have a have a, you know a well-established training program and that responders that we send out are going to be um, ready for any situation. And we don't ever want to put them in danger or put anyone that they're serving in danger. So we've been very careful on how we're planning and um, and moving forward with that. Yeah, and to me, the most important thing actually is that this succeed. Yes. 
and it should. We are speaking with the mayor of Northampton, Jean Louis Scherer. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the mayor here on Mayor's Monday right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Teach English anywhere, to immigrants in the United States, to students in South America. Get your Teach English certificate with the International Language Institute. It's the Teach English credentials recognized around the world. You'll learn how to teach, create an excellent lesson plan, and you'll start teaching non-native English speakers the first week. A three-month part-time evening course starts February 4th. Four-week online intensive starts February 6th. Sign up online. Get your Teach English certificate. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance, local people, local service, local insurance, in partnership with Arbella Insurance. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with the mayor of Northampton, Gina Louise Shara, here on WHMP on Mayor's Monday. Mayor, I'd like to know, looking forward and back, uh, about the Resilience Hub. Where does that stand? Has the purchase been made? Is it going forward? When will it open? And tell us more. Okay. So, yes. So, in December, we announced that um, uh, we'd signed an option to purchase the First Baptist Church. Um, for the Resilience Hub, which is hugely exciting. So that is moving forward. We haven't closed on it yet, but we've still been going through the due diligence on it and everything is is checking out well. So, um, so we are moving forward. Once we close on it, we will start working on finishing out that building. So it's, um, as I said before, it's there's an amazing amount of work that's been done on it and some of the more expensive work, but it still needs to be finished. And we also need to finish it for the different needs that it's going to serve. Um, so we will start working on that as fast as we can and um, try and get operations going as fast as we can in there. Can you tell us, I'm not sure if you can, but can you tell us how the price was arrived at? Sure. So it was appraised um, and it actually, it was appraised and then when we had some negotiations around it, but, um, it appraised at what we are purchasing it for. Okay. And when do you think this will be operational? The resilience of? We don't totally know yet. Um, but I'm hoping that we can move quickly to maybe we might be finishing the building in stages. So we're hoping to maybe get some operations going. Um, I feel like I'm not at a point yet where I could give you a, a date, but um, as soon as we can, we want to get stuff happening in there. Okay. 
I think the mayor has skirted that question sufficiently well that we should go on to a different topic. Listen, I'd like to ask you this. A lot of uh, coverage in the Gazette, a uh, special series about climate, and I know that climate is a climate change and mitigation matter of great importance to you. What is the city doing and where does that stand? Yeah, so um, first of all, one of, another one of the accomplishments from this last year is that we received a LEED Gold certification. So it's a Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design by the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, and that's sort of a certification on how well cities and communities are working to be energy and environmentally friendly and sort of their, their planning for that. Um, so I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud that we received that certification. It's the second highest. We are going to be going for the highest. And one of the things that we're um, talking about at council right now that I think will help us move those goals forward is the creation of a additional stabilization fund. So this is a climate change mitigation stabilization fund that we're asking for approval from the council to create using $3 million of our ARPA loss revenue funds. So um, you could take a certain amount of ARPA funds as lost revenue, and um, we want to use $3 million of that to create this, this stabilization fund that we think is an important um, step to recognizing our commitment to resilience and to our resilience and regeneration plan. And it's, it's a good fiscal response, fiscal fiscally, excuse me, responsibly, responsibly way. Okay, say fiscally <laughs> responsible 20 times really quick. <laughs> <laughs> to utilize some of the ARPA loss revenue to to um, to make this our financial priority as a city. Okay, so we're going to have money set aside essentially as a uh, endowment, of, sort of endowment equivalent, um, to use for climate mitigation. What, what's the money going to be used for? So it's going to be used for us to um, work on our goals. So we have you know really um, ambitious goals for. Um, being a carbon neutral city by or carbon neutral neutral municipality by 2030, city by 2050, and so a lot of those plans are very expensive. So we will use it to be able to move forward those goals and also to position us well for state and federal grants uh, to help us reach those goals. And so this is something that Northampton and many other cities are doing. Or are we a leader on this? Are we in the pack? What What's the story on that? That's a good question. I believe we're probably. Um, we're probably a leader on creating this and sort of designating funds in this way to to clearly signal our priority. And this goes before the council for an order, for an ordinance. What does its council need to do? So it's an order to create this fund, um, and it's at, it's at the Finance Committee today, and then it'll be back on the council agenda on Thursday. Okay. We're going to leave it there. We have been speaking with the mayor of Northampton on this Mayor's Monday. Julie Louise Shera, thank you so much for being with us every month. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. I love it. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413 587-0084. Using WIC is easier than ever. Now you can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. WIC helps families learn to shop for nutritious foods and offers resources like online nutrition education and an app to make shopping easier. Visit us online at mass.gov WIC to find out if you qualify. This message is brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock.